Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together as we study God's Word, and let us be challenged to apply His truths to our hearts so that we may serve Him faithfully. May God bless you. If you will, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. We are looking at a Palm Sunday message. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. Uh, this is a parallel passage from the passage out of Luke that we, or Mark, I can't remember, that we read from our, uh, our responsive reading. Allow me to read this passage. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what, the spoke, what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and the others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of them and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, continue to guide us in our study of your word. Lord, show us the humility that was shown through our Lord Jesus Christ that day. Help us, Lord, to, to use his humility as a model for our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today in the Christian world, we know it as Palm Sunday. We also focus on the triumphal entry of Jesus call it Palm Sunday uh, basically because they cut down palm branches and lay them across the road for Jesus to travel into the city. Now, a lot of pageantries are happening on a day like this, and you will see a lot of churches who have palm branches and they're waving it like this. Well, that typically was the case when a new king would enter into a city that the palm branches would be cut down. They would be laid along the road, but they would also be waved in honor of the new king. However, out of all the Gospels, John's the only one that even mentions that they were palm branches. The other three just say that branches were cut. And none of the Gospels say that they're waved at Jesus. Instead, they were just simply laid along the road for Jesus to ride in on. Whether or not some of the people waved the palm branches, we don't know. The Bible does not state that they did. But this was a typical case when a new king would enter into a city. Now, we also know this as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Well, we also see some of the pageantries where it has the bold music and shouts of Hosanna, just like we read from the scriptures. But Jesus was simply fulfilling the prophets. The way he entered was anything but triumphal. This was the first and only time that Jesus allowed anyone to address him as king. We know, we'll see a little bit later about that, but 
Jesus knew that those very same people who shouted Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would be the very ones who later that week would be shouting, crucify him. Now we look and we see that today there's going to be a focus on Jesus and one of his most powerful characteristics. Now, you may not think of this as being his most powerful characteristic, but it was. Humbleness. Think about it. Think about Jesus' entire ministry, and you're going to see this one characteristic shown over and over and over again. His humility. And the Bible, throughout the Bible, commands us to do likewise. Well, let's look at this not triumphal entry, but humble entry. It was a custom for a new king to enter to the city, and they would be on a mighty steed, usually a bright white steed, and they would be in their royal regalia or their armor showing that they were a leader of their armies, and typically they would have their armies following behind them. They would also have any major dignitaries, officials that, would, that they would have as as far as those who would help organize their government, they would all be with them parading through the town. Now, compare that with Jesus. Jesus is not on a mighty steed. He tells his disciples to go and get a donkey and the colt of a donkey. And he rode in on the colt of a donkey. Not the powerful picture that you would see a typical king riding into Jerusalem. And we don't really know what Jesus wore that day. The Bible doesn't say. But from all evidence, Jesus basically wore the simple tunic. Just a, basically a sheet that had a hole cut in the top and arms. And it just draped over him. Probably had like a rope or some type of a belt. Just hold it in place. That is more than likely what Jesus wore that day. Not any fancy royal regalia. No armor. And instead of having an army and dignitaries following him, he had a ragtag group of fishermen, tax collector, a few other odds and ends that made up his entourage. You talk about a triumphal entry, where is it? It's a humble entry. And that depicts Jesus' entire ministry. Now, this was really about the first time that Jesus ever allowed anybody to address him as king. If you'll remember, when Jesus fed the multitudes out on the hillside, the 5,000 plus their family, their wives and children, so we don't know how many thousands of people he fed that day out of the little loaves and fish, they were so amazed with him that they wanted to proclaim him as king that day. And he told them no, and he left them. He was not about to allow them to proclaim him as king. So we look once again, and we see Jesus is not looking for the praise and honor of man. He simply wants to be found faithful to God. So we look and we see even his own disciples struggle with Jesus' own humility. He kept saying that, my kingdom is not of this earth. He kept telling them that he would go back to be with the Father. But they kept having this mental image that Jesus' kingdom would be on earth and that they would be part of that kingdom. 
They were fighting from time to time as to who would sit on Jesus' right and who would sit on Jesus' left, who would be the, the highest officials in his kingdom. Every time Jesus had to try to put them in their place. But on this spectacular day, Jesus simply displayed his humility. Well, to be honest, his humility has always been in place, even from his humble beginnings. Just a few months ago, we were dealing with Christmas messages. Y'all remember his humble coming into the world? He wasn't born of a royal family. Mary and Joseph were pretty much nobodies. Because of the circumstances of the census, they end up in a little bitty town called Bethlehem where there's no place for Jesus to be born other than a stable. And the only place that Mary could lay her newborn baby was in a food trough for animals. Not very spectacular beginnings, was it? Pretty humble. Well, did you know that that really wasn't Jesus' beginnings? Jesus has always been with God the Father, sitting at his right hand in heaven. We don't understand fully what all that entails, how they exist in some place that is not a physical place. But here's what Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 shares about that. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. That part tells us that we also ought to be like Christ in what he does. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, him, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond slave, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now here is Jesus, God, deity in heaven, and yet he was willing to empty himself to take away some of the power that he had as a personage of God and to step out of heaven and to come in the form of that little babe in a manger and to grow up and to live right here on planet earth just like us. Can you imagine God becoming us? You're talking about hum humility. God became us. That's his true humble beginnings. He stepped out of heaven. He emptied himself. Now, we don't understand everything that transformed when Jesus became man. We know in our hearts that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, but he did allow some limitations in his godhood. One thing that we've talked about many times is that he was not omnipresent. He was not everywhere at all times like he was when he was in heaven. He could only be at one place at one time because he was in a physical body. And omniscience, not knowing everything. One time somebody asked him, Lord, when will these things take place? He's talking about the end times. And Jesus said, no man knows, only the Father knows. He even said, I don't know, only the Father knows. So 
at that point he had some limitations that he had imposed upon himself by becoming and humbling himself to become one of us. Now the Bible goes on and says that he humbled himself by being obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know, Jesus in his earthly form, we struggle to understand, you know, what was he thinking as an infant, as a toddler, as a teenager, as a young adult. It was not until he was 30 years old that he truly began what we know as his earthly ministry. Yet every single second of Jesus' life, every step that he took, he was moving one more step closer to death on a cross. And he knew that all along. There was no doubt in his mind how things would end in his physical human life. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, folks, that's humility. To step out of heaven, to take on a form like this, to live like us, to experience all the tragedies, all the emotions, everything that we have ever experienced, he experienced physically, emotionally, himself. Knowing that he was going to die a gruesome, horrible death for us. See, the reason why he came was to save us from our sins. We deserve eternal death, physical death and spiritual death, because we're sinners. We have sinned against God. Yet he came to die for our sins, to die in our place, to pay that penalty for our sins on the cross. That's why he came. His humble ending. Like I shared, Jesus knew that he was going to be obedient even to death, death on the cross. Throughout his ministry, the earlier years of his ministry, he really didn't focus on the fact that he would be dying and leaving them. It was really only that last maybe six months to a year of his ministry, he started talking about that they would kill this body and in three days it would rise up again. He was trying to prepare his disciples to know that this was going to take place. But throughout his ministry, he knew that every day was a preparation day to prepare his followers for what was yet to come. Now, in his latter months, he told his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. And they argued with him. They said, Lord, they want to kill you there. Why would you want to go to Jerusalem? I must go to Jerusalem. He had to be obedient. He humbled himself. He had to be obedient, even to death, death on a cross. Jesus knew that when he set his face towards Jerusalem, he knew exactly what to expect. He knew that in just a matter of hours from what we're studying in John, that he would be arrested, that he would be tortured, he would be tried, and he would be crucified. He knew that. That was no surprise to him. 
The only agony he had about that was in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. And we'll deal with that a little bit later in our study. But Jesus humbled himself because that's why he came. He came for that one purpose, to die. He didn't come just to teach us good things. You know, a lot of people say, well, yeah, he was a great teacher. He, he taught us how to live, how to be good, godly people. Well, yes, he did. That's not why he came. There's prophets that had told us many of the same things. God inspired many writers to tell us how we ought to live. That's really not why Jesus came. He did set a perfect example for us, but he came to die. His humble ending. Of all the ways that Jesus could have died, there, there could have been some less heinous ways. But Jesus died in the worst way possible in that era of time. To be hung on a tree, nailed to a cross, and he allowed himself to do that. That's his humble ending perfect model of humility. Well, what does this say about us? Let's go back to Philippians. Back to the right page. The very first verse that I read, verse 5 of chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. If Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross, God is expecting us to be humble as well. We as followers of Christ need to truly follow his example of humility. Why do we have a problem doing that? Why is it that we love the praise of man? We love for people to, to honor us, to respect us. We like to have power over other people, don't we? We like to be in control. We have a lot of pride issues in our lives. And please don't deny it, because we all do. We all have pride in our lives. We like to be seen. We like to be heard. We like for the praise of others. We like to get that pat on the back. We like for people to look at us in a way of honor. That's who we are. That's our flesh. That's how we were created in the flesh, because our flesh is not of God. Flesh is of the Satan. We love that pride. We love that honor. We love being recognized. We love it when somebody touts about our abilities. We do. Here's some passages that tell us we're wrong. We read about four different passages. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. James chapter 1 verse 9. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. James chapter 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the pro proper time. Part of James chapter 4 verse 6 tells us that God hates the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Now, if we can look through Matthew, James, Peter, and those are just a handful of many others, and see that God hates pride but blesses humility, then why, why, why are we so prideful? We ought not be. That just proves that we struggle with the sins of the flesh. The sins of the flesh are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. I'll be honest with you, Satan doesn't even have a part of that other than we are creating a fallen creation that Satan is in control of. We by ourselves, without Satan's influence, have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then we have to battle his temptations on top of that. So this is something that's just kind of inbuilt in us, ingrained in us. But God, God is telling us that is no longer how you are to live. As my child, as my children, here is how you are to live. You're to live by the model that was set for you in my son Jesus. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Instead of wanting the exaltation of man saying, you are so wonderful, you're so great, I want to honor you, I want to bring respect to you, let God do that. Let God be the one to exalt us, not man. If you're looking for the praise of man, you're looking for the wrong thing. If you're wanting somebody to give you constant confirmation of how great you are, you're not allowing God to exalt you. You'd rather have the praise of man than the praise of God. Instead of looking for the praise of man, let's let God take care of our praise at the appropriate time. That's what 1 Peter 5, 6 says. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. When is the proper time? When we leave this earth, he gives us a perfected body. We stand before him, and he judges us according to not our sins, but by our good works. And he gives us crowns. He exalts us. The neat thing that Revelation tells us is we're not going to keep those crowns. We're going to lay them at the feet of Christ in honor of him because he is our Lord. Humility something our world has very little of. Unfortunately, the Christian world has not enough of. If God tells us to be likewise with Christ, then we ought to humble ourselves like Christ. If Jesus refused and rejected the praise of man, so should we. Now, let me be honest with you. If you've done something nice to someone, if you have done something worthy of respect and honor, and somebody does give you a compliment, don't say, no, 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 I can't accept that. Just say, thank you. But don't be expecting it. There's a difference between living, doing things with the expectation of being rewarded here on earth, of receiving that honor and glory from man, and doing it because you're doing it because you know in your heart it's the right thing to do. And if somebody does compliment you, give you respect for what you've done, 
Just say simply thank you. But that's not why I did it. I didn't do it for the praise of man. See, here's what we do as Christians. We know in our hearts we're supposed to be ministering to others. And so we'll, we'll make a meal and we'll go and drop it off at a family's house that's going through a difficult time. And when they tell us how good the meal was and how great gracious you were at bringing it, instead of giving God the praise and saying, well, I just felt in my heart that God wanted me to bring this and minister to you through it and give God the glory for the ministry that you're doing. Well, I really slaved over a stove for a while. I, I appreciate that. You know, you just don't know how much it, it took for me to get that to you. Folks, I know it's exaggerating, but in our hearts, that's what we're doing. Humbleness. It's a lost art in the Christian world, but it's one that Jesus showed us every day of his life. And from the biblical evidence is how God wants us to live. Humbling ourselves as we follow Jesus. Well, let's look at Jesus. How did Jesus show humility in his ministry? Who did Jesus minister to most of the time? Was it the royalty? Was it the people of clout? No. It was the down and out of society. He ministered to a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman, a despised woman. She came out by herself because she was not allowed to go out with the other women because of her reputation in town. You see, she'd been married several times, and the man that she was living with at that time was not her husband. But yet Jesus ministered to her. He didn't worry about what other people thought. Do you remember the man that was blind Jesus healed him and he blind man gave Jesus the praise and the religious officials excommunicated him from the synagogue which means he was now a nobody nobody in the town would give him the time of day nobody would do any dealings with him he was an outcast a prior but Jesus found him again continued to minister to him other outcasts, the, the lepers. Nobody wanted to be anywhere close to them. Yet Jesus reached out and touched them. Healed them of their disease. Showed love. Now, Jesus did have the power, miraculous powers to heal. Healed the blind, healed the lame. Brought people back from the dead even. God could use us to do some powerful works like that, but that's typically not how he's using us in our modern way today with the uh, scriptures being so plentiful and the word of God being broadcast so much. So how does he want to use us? Who in society would Jesus minister to today? Think about them and say, maybe I need to be ministering to them as well. Who are the down and out Outcasts of society today. Who are the ones least likely to receive the love of Christ in our world today? That's who Jesus would be ministering to without worries about how anybody else thought about him. Just think for just a moment. Who's the least likely people 
in our society that need Christ, that need to know the love of salvation. That's who we need to think about. That's how we need to humble ourselves and minister in his name for his honor, for his glory, so that others will see the truth, the love of Christ. Jesus saw a need, and he ministered to the need. Yes, he healed physically, but his healing was not really focused on the physical, earthly healing. He also focused on the spiritual healing, salvation. We may not be able to heal somebody physically. Of course, we may help them along the way if they can't afford the medicine that they need for for an illness that, that they're dealing with, we may be able to help in that area as God leads. But there's an illness far more deadly called the illness of sin, and each and every one of us has the cure. Each and every one of us has the cure for the greatest need in society. We have the answer to sin as Jesus. We need to be sharing Jesus with all those around us without any concern with what others might think. That's what Jesus did his entire life. Stepped out of heaven to be like us, humbled himself even to death on a cross, showed us how we not only live but minister by showing humility in all that he did. May we be like him. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we come to you confessing that we are a prideful people. We allow far too often our own selfish desires to get in the way of living a life that honors you, that focuses on how you want us to live how we ought to be ministering to the least of our society so that they can have the answer to their greatest problem, sin. Because we have the answer for them, and it is Jesus, Savior and Lord of our lives. Lord, help us to humble ourselves just like Jesus did as he stepped out of heaven and gave himself for us. May we give of ourselves so that your gift of life may be found in those who need it most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.